I want you to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I hesitated to go to 1st. I've been wanting to all week. And I hesitated to go to 1 Thessalonians because I know a great preacher that has preached through 1 Thessalonians. And, and I, but, but it's just the passages on my heart. And I, I pray that it would be encouraging to us tonight. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump right into the middle of a passage, verse 13. Paul's writing to this young church. He says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. More than one preacher or writer has called the church at Thessalonica the model church. And I'm sure that they had their share of problems like all churches do. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth to encourage their giving in 2 Corinthians 8, he held up the churches of Macedonia as an example. He said, moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God, which is bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Well, the churches of Macedonia would be Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And the church of Thessalonica was not a perfect church. It was, a, it was an exemplary church. In fact, in chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, one of the reasons why it was such a strong church was because they had strong leadership. They were founded by the apostle Paul who had spent at least three weeks there. While he was there, he was accompanied by Silas and Timothy. And so their spiritual heritage was short, but it had three great men that was in it. Amen. After Paul had left Thessalonica, had to leave in a hurry, some of his critics came along and they began to raise some questions and make some false accusations against Paul. And we know that because in this chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, the verses we didn't read, Paul writes back to the church and he defends his ministry among them. He reminds them of his conduct when he was there and his boldness in preaching despite the persecution. He hadn't deceived them. He hadn't beguiled them in any way. And Paul would not have given such a full-throated defense of his ministry had there not been a reason to do that. And it wasn't that Paul was personally offended, but, but he knew that in defending himself, he was defending the gospel that he preached. You, you can't separate the man from the message. The life that you live impacts the gospel that you preach. And you can live in such a way as to promote its advancement or to hinder its progress. So he's not just concerned about what you think about me, but, but that's going to hinder the effectiveness of the gospel message. So in chapter 1, he commends the church. In chapter 2, he commends himself. So, so, so in chapter 1, it's the kind of church that every preacher desires. 
And chapter 2, it's the kind of preacher that every church deserves. And in defending himself, he gives us the qualities of a great preacher, the kind of preacher that I want to be. Just, just for a moment, just, just by way of introduction, if you will just glance through verse 1 through 2. In, in verse 1 and 2, he talks about having a committed stewardship. He came and he preached to them and he took nothing from them. He wasn't a charlatan. He wasn't a charmer. He didn't come there for personal gain. He, he preached a gospel message. He persevered against godless men. And then in verse 3 through 6, he talks about having a clear conscience. And if you look, he talks about not of deceit, not of uncleanness, not in guile, uh, not as pleasing men, but God. Uh, and neither at any time use we flattering words, not a cloak of covenants. I, I never lied to you. I, I never tried to deceive you. I, I didn't shade the truth. I didn't have ulterior motives. I, I didn't preach for, for personal gain. I, I didn't do anything under pressure. No, my, my message was true. My, my motives were pure. And then in verse 7 and 8, he talks about having a compassionate spirit. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. I know that God gives different men different personalities, and some men have a harsher tone than other men. I know preachers who, who, who preach very hard in the pulpit, but one-on-one, -on -one, they're very gentle men. They're very, very kind men. Some of the hardest preachers I know have, have, have the softest hearts. And sometimes a preacher gets a reputation for, for being harsh because he's bold in the pulpit, but really he's balanced with boldness and kindness. Now, now there are some preachers who pride themselves with being rude and offensive and hard and insulting. Yes, and you think you, you can find out what a person, what a man thinks about people by the way that he preaches to them. And when a man preaches down to people, he's not spirit-filled, he's self-filled. He's, he's filled with himself is what he is. And I, I never want to hurt anybody. I never want to intentionally right. be insulting or offensive. Yes, sir. I, I would love for my ministry to be marked by, by kindness. I, I would rather you be moved by my heart than be impressed with my knowledge. And so he talks about having a compassionate spirit. In verse 8 and 9, he talks about having a charitable heart. And, and Paul says that, that, that when he was there, he didn't take any financial remuneration from them, but he labored night and day so that he would not be chargeable unto them. And and Paul later on would write that a laborer is worthy of his hire and they that minister the gospel should be paid to the gospel. And we, we believe that. But, but he didn't take anything from them because he knew that young church in that area that, that it could probably be used against him. He's got a charitable heart. And then in verse number 10, he talks about having a clean life. Basically, he says, if you'll look back on my interaction with you, you will know that I conducted myself as a holy man. I, I don't owe you any money. I didn't skip out on any bills. I didn't cheat anybody. I wasn't dishonest. I didn't cavort with loose women. I, I handled myself holily and justly and unblameably. I lived a holy life before you. That's the kind of preacher that Paul was. And when I read that passage and the character of a, of a great preacher, the kind of preacher that every church needs, here's what it does for me. It makes me thank God for the preachers that have God has put in my life. We talk about preachers around the town. I, I love talking about those old, those old preachers, Brother Barnes, we've talked about. I, 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 I thank God for those preachers. How many of you, how many of you, just by show of hand, there's a preacher in the past that had character and was a holy man and he impacted your life. You know somebody like that. Thank God for that. My, my dad turned 78 last year, and my dad is the model preacher for me. He's preaching right now for me in our pulpit. My son led the service, and, and dad's preaching. And, and, and thank God for preachers, and thank God for, for spiritual leaders who, who have influenced us. 
And it reminds us, it reminds us that a church is built on strong spiritual leadership. You may not be aware of this because you're kind of sheltered being a member of this church, but you know there are Baptist churches that run through a different preacher every two or three years. Either he runs out of sermons or they're sick of him, and so about two or three years, and they've got to get a new preacher. You, there are other preachers, there are other churches who have been hurt by dishonest men, immoral men in the pulpit. There are churches tonight who have a weakling in the pulpit. He's intimidated to say anything or ever to preach against anything. And you know it's really hard to build a strong church with a preacher that won't lead it. And so we point to the ministry of Paul and say, boy, that's the kind of preacher that, that every church needs. But wait a minute. It's not just a strong preacher. It's not just a good pulpiteer. It's not just a man with strong leadership that builds a church because there's been many churches that had a strong preacher, but they didn't respond to the preaching. There are, preachers, there are churches right now that have a strong man of God in their pulpit and they're not aware of it and they're apathetic and, and, and they're, they're, they're lethargic and, and they're disinterested. And sometimes there's an adversarial relationship between the pastor and the church and they end up fighting him more than they do following him and I have a great preacher friend and he's, in a, he's a young man. He's, he's pastoring a church and it's a different state far, far away. And it's a tough church. They have a crisis about every couple of months. And he'll call. And boy, here's the crisis. And, and, and I, I'm not in that church, so you're not paying my salary. So what I would do is I'd get up and I'd blow it up. That's what I would do. I, I would blow it to kingdom come and I would walk out. So, so you don't deserve a preacher like me. And that's not probably the thing to do, but, but I mean every couple of months he's got a new crisis. And I, 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 I feel sorry for men like that. So, so it's, not just, it's not just that you have a strong preacher. No, 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 no. You, you can preach, but there has to be a reception. There has to be a welcoming of the word into the heart. And when you have a preacher that will stand up and preach and a people who will listen, then the ministry of the word becomes effective. And that's what Paul turns to in these verses. He says in verse 13, he received the word of God which he heard of us you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. He, he's hearkening back to those few weeks when he was there and he was preaching to them. And he says there's great ministry there. There's a great church there because you received it. It wasn't just my preaching. It was your hearing too. I'll give you an example. When he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea. They chased him out of there. He went to Athens. Acts 17, he's in Athens, Mars Hill, uh, um, the, the, the unknown God. Athens is full of intellects. They are intelligentsia. And so he preaches, same preacher, preaches the same message, same gospel. When he got to the point about the resurrection, the Bible says that they mocked him. There wasn't no church in Athens. He didn't build a church there. You don't have a book in your Bible to the church at Athens. Same preacher. Same power, same message, different hearers. You didn't have the hearers there like you did in Thessalonica. So, so in these verses, you get the other side of the coin. It's the kind of preacher that I want to be, but it's the kind of people that we must be. He had commended himself. Now he's back to commending them. And I believe that in these verses, he's giving us some attitude that you and I must have 
if we're going to have a great church. Can I tell you that in the troubled world that we live in, there are a few things that will be an anchor for your soul and an anchor for your family. And one of them is a strong church. Let me give it to you quickly. Give it to you quickly. I want you to notice, first of all, their approach to the word. Look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Now, now that's actually the second time he said that because he said that in chapter 1 and verse 2. So, so he's thankful. Timothy has gone back. Timothy has now come, met him in Athens. He has given him this report. And what he's thankful for is how they have responded to the word of God. Now bear in mind, their exposure to the word of God is very limited. Because Paul was only there for, for just a few weeks. They didn't have the opportunity to go to camp meetings and jubilees. And hear the 97 preachers that you have heard. They, they didn't have that. Understand that in the history of their church... They only knew three preachers. That's all they know. They know of Paul. They know of Silas. They know of Timothy. That's all they have ever heard of. If you said, hey, have you heard of brother? Nope, never heard of him. Have you heard so? Nope, never heard it. They've only heard three preachers in the history of their church. So, 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 so their opportunity to hear has been very short, but it was enough for them to believe it. And notice they had a particular reception. He said, when you receive the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. And I'm interested that he uses the word received two times in that statement. How many of you know that when words are spoken that they can be received in a variety of ways? You can say something to one person, they get offended and mad. You can say the exact same thing to another person and it doesn't affect them at all. You, you, see, you see, saying something and a person hearing it in the wrong way or, or in the wrong frame of mind, and we all know what it is to have our words misunderstood or to be taken in a way that I did not intend. That communication is a two-way street. It's what you say, but it is also how you hear it, how it is received. Then, then, then we all know what it is to be talking to somebody and you're staring them in the eyeball and you're talking to them and they're nodding their head and they're looking at you but there's a blank stare in their eyes and you know they are a million miles away. They're there but they're not there. They have checked out looking at you, nodding their head. Every once in a while say amen at an inappropriate time. They're not listening. Uh, some of y'all already, you've already checked out. Uh, yeah. You, you know what it is, don't it? It's like when you're listening to the radio. Going down the road, listening to the radio, and you got, you got Rush Limbaugh on. And then, then Rush Limbaugh's talking, or Dave Ramsey, or whoever it is, and then you reach up there and you just turn the dial. Now I'm going to tell you, Rush Limbaugh's still talking. But not in that car. Right? Somewhere he's still talking to somebody, but you have turned the dial and now you're not receiving what he's saying. He, 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 he's, he, he, some people are dialed into what you're saying, hanging on to every word, and some people, their mind is a million miles away. They are on a completely different station. They've turned, they've done turned the dial. I tell you, it's no different when it comes to receiving the word of God. 
Best illustration that was ever given. Jesus gave it in Matthew 13 when he told the parable of the sower and he said he sowed seed on, on, on good ground and thorny ground and, and the wayside. And, 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 and then when Jesus interpreted, he said, these are they which have received, he used the word, which have received the word of God. He's talking about different ways that people receive the word of God. Now I'm gonna tell you something. How that you receive, listen to me, how you receive the word of God will determine how you respond to the word of God. In that parable, there's a direct correlation to how it is received and the fruit that it produces in that person's life. The type of response determines if it's gonna produce any fruit in your life. And by the way, how you receive it depends on who said it. Yeah. Johnny's out playing in the, ground, in, in, in the yard and you want Johnny to come in. And, and so you send his little sister out. And the little sister goes out and says, Johnny, you need to come inside. And Johnny ignores it. Joe ignores her. No, no, you need to come in. I said you need to come inside. And Johnny, of course, ignores his little sister. And then she says, Mama said you need to come inside. You see, it's not who said it. It's who said, say it. And, and, and here's what he said. When you heard the word... You can receive it a whole lot of different ways. But you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. How many of you believe that would make a huge difference in how you receive the word? That even though Paul is the mouthpiece, they received his preaching as the word of God. Doesn't mean that God was speaking, but he is speaking for God and he's preaching the words of God. One of my pet peeves in preaching is when a preacher says God told me. I think you need to be real careful about that. Huh? Uh, because the only thing you can absolutely say God told you is what you find in the Word of God. Now, I believe God speaks to us. I, I believe that God lays things on our hearts. I, I understand that. I know God gives you a word to give to somebody else. I just don't like to say God told me to say this unless I can find it in the Bible. But when, when some man stands up and he opens the book and he starts reading it and he starts preaching that text and says, now look at that verse. Now, now look over here at this verse. Now let me show you this verse. I'm telling you he is preaching the very words of God. And if I believe that, it should affect how I receive it. I can turn a man off if he's just spouting off and ranting and raving on his latest hobby horse. But if he's preaching the word of God, I want to hear what he has to say. That's why I think you ought to be very critical, be very careful of being critical of the message going home Sunday afternoon. Amen. It may be that God was speaking through that man. And it may be that God was speaking to your children through that man. Amen. And you be critical of something he said and you didn't like and you tear it down in front of the children. You are destroying what God tried to say to them. But they had a particular reception. But then notice they had a proper response. Look at the last part of verse 13. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's the proper response when you hear the word of God is to believe it. The first step to changing behavior is to change belief. And the two reasons people don't change is either they don't believe that change is necessary or change is not possible. So when you preach the gospel to somebody, there'll be some hardened sinner there and say, I don't need to be saved or I don't believe that I can be saved. But when you believe what's written in the word of God, it'll answer both of those objections. 
And whatever you believe right now, whether it's some false religion or some philosophy or some wild notion, I'm going to tell you, believing the word will correct that. There's a particular reception. There's a proper response. And, and, and notice the powerful results. It, it, it effectually worketh also in you that, but here's what he said. He said, when I was there and I preached, you didn't tune me out. You heard me preach and the Spirit of God bore witness with you and you believed that what I was preaching was the word of God and you believed it in your heart and it has become effective in your life. It changed you and it transformed you and it works in you and it produces fruit in you and every one of us tonight can say, boy, that same thing happened in my life. I heard the word of God. I believed it. I acted upon it and it has changed my life. I believe that we underestimate the power of the word of God in people's lives. Well, where do preachers get off? We got to have drama and I got to have a prop and I got to have a show and I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to put, no, no, just, just preach the word. I tell, you, I tell you tonight that if you are lost, you can be saved. If you are in bondage, you can be set free. If you have an addiction, you can have victory. The word of God received and believed and obeyed will do that for you. So, 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 so Paul says, listen, it wasn't just my preaching. No, it was your hearing. He could be the greatest preacher who ever preached. But if there's not somebody to listen to responsiveness, it's not going to work. Thank, thank God for that. He said, when I was there, you received the word. Their approach to the word. I'll tell you the second attitude that really takes to build a strong church. It's not just the approach to the word, but notice the alignment of their ways. Look at verse 14. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now, it's interesting to me. That Paul mentions the churches of God which are in Judea. Because right now he is in Europe. He's in Europe. We're a long, long way from Judea, which is Israel. You know the church started in Jerusalem, spread throughout Asia. There is reason to believe that, that these believers in Thessalonica, Macedonia, has never visited one of the churches of Judea. I don't know if they've ever seen known any of the believers from Judea. So I'm reading between the lines just a little bit to say that everything they know about the churches of Judea, Paul has told them. How are they going to know what a church looks like? How are you going to know how a church functions? How a church conducts themselves? They got the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They only know three Christians and that is it. But Paul gives them testimony of the churches of Judea that they've never been to and they have Paul and Silas and Timothy and they saw the difference in their life and they didn't say, hey, we're saved, we don't want anything else. No, we want to live the way that the apostles live and we want to follow an example. Over in Acts 17, where you have the historical record of this, here's what Acts 17 says. It says that some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. That's a great word, consorted. I had no idea what the word meant. So I looked it up. And it just simply means to spend a lot of time with. They, they, they believed the word that affected a change in their behavior. And what every church needs is a people who are willing to amend their ways. Yeah. No, notice that they followed spiritual examples. He said, ye brethren became fathers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. They, they became followers of somebody else give you a simple illustration. Last year when COVID hit, 
camp meetings canceled, youth camps canceled. I mean, everything canceled. Our church sitting there, church, we're bored. We want to go somewhere. I mean, we couldn't find nowhere. We couldn't go to revival. We couldn't find no Jews. I mean, we just couldn't find nothing. So we decided, we decided in July that we would just take a church trip to the ark, Noah's ark, the, the ark encounter creation. We just, we just take a trip. And we got a, we got a Prevost bus. And, and so we, we had this bus and, and we had, we had, we had 58 people sign up. We all going to go up there and, and we're going to have a great grand old time. And the transmission of the bus blew up the day before. We had 58 people. We done bought the tickets. We done reserved the motel rooms. We done pumped up. We going. And so the day before, man, we're renting every 15-passenger van we can find. Everybody's got an SUV. We ended up, we ended up in a caravan of eight SUVs, Suburbans, whatever, 58 people. So we all met. We all met on a Monday morning at the church early in the morning. Everybody met. Everybody knows where they're riding. We've got it all packed up. And we're going to ride together as a caravan, all right? We're all going to get on a group text, and we can all stay together and all get there together. And, and so we got, we got these eight vehicles, and all we need is who's going to lead? Who is going to lead the caravan? Well, well, my, my, my son-in-law, Andrew, Andrew there, God bless him. He's a fine fellow sometimes. Well, we knew, everybody knew, everybody knew that it won't be Andrew. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew has got to be the slowest driver you've ever met in your life. If he ever gets a ticket, he'd be going too slow. So if Andrew's leading, we still wouldn't be there. We'd still be on our way. It will not be Andrew. My wife, my wife is driving, and, and my wife, God bless her heart, my wife, God bless her heart, uh, she does a lot of things well. Driving's not one of them. And my, my wife, I'm, I'm just my wife, tell you, my wife's problem is that she's too scattered. She looks at everything except the road. Uh, my wife, first thing she'll do is she'll turn on the CD or the radio or whatever. She'll crank the music up and we're going to sing. We're going to sing. And, and since she got four grandkids in the bag, bag she's going to play with the grandkids and she's going to look at the bird and see the river and, the, and just, she's just enjoying the trip and, and hope we say, it will not be heard. We cannot have that. Cannot have that. My daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law Anna, she, she was driving one vehicle. Now the problem with Anna is she'll have to stop at every other rest area. We'll never get there. See, for me, for me traveling, it's not the journey, it's the destination. That's what's important. Get in the car. We will eventually stop for gas. When we do, when we do, get you a hot dog, use the bathroom, and then get a 44-ounce big gulp so you'll have to stop at the next rest area, Right? Now, we, we, we stop one time, we, we, are, we have somewhere to go. That, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, we, it cannot be Anna. So, so, we, so, so we finally, we finally identified who was the best driver to follow. That was me. That, that's, it was clear, clear. Now, now, listen, listen. Simple illustration. Do you know some of you might need to stop and look at who you follow? And if you follow some preacher on TV who's not right doctrinally, you don't know where he's going to take you. You might be following some co-worker. So, so you, you might be following some good friend on Facebook, and they're not taking you to a good place. Young people, young people, they are followers by nature. That's why mom and daddy, you better know who they're listening to. You better know who has their ear. You better know who their friends are. 
There are churches scattered all over the country that used to believe just like you, used to carry the same Bible that you carry, sing the same music that you sing, shout just like you do, and some young buck came in there and started taking them a different direction, following new doctrines and new Bibles and new sounds and contemporary doctrine. I find, you better find out who you're following, who, who you fellowshipping with. They follow spiritual examples. But, but then I want you to notice they face similar experiences. He says in verse 14, For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. And what I'm interested in is not the nature of the persecution, but the sharing of their persecution. Because when the church of Jerusalem moved out of Jerusalem, it, it, it transitioned from, from a mostly Jewish congregation to a mostly Gentile congregation. And the opposition that the church in Judea faced was not the Romans, it was the Jews. It was the, everywhere they went, the unbelieving Jews persecuted them and, and they persecuted the gospel more than anybody else. And now Paul says, hey, you in Thessalonica, he said, you're suffering like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. You are experiencing the same thing that those churches went through. Now, now, now why would Paul say that? Because it would let them know over there in a, in a continent by themselves that you're not in this thing by yourself. Common experiences brings a togetherness. We are in this thing together. There is a camaraderie. There is a commonality. There is a, 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 a fellowship of suffering. And when you recognize that there are other saints who have been mistreated and abused for sharing the gospel, I tell you, it binds you to them more closely. By, by, by the way, how true that was for the churches of thought. If you go back to Acts 17, do you know who stirred up the trouble for the Thessalonians there? It was unbelieving Jews. They incited a riot. They arrested Jason. They, they, Paul and Silas had to slip out of town at night and Paul is basically saying, I want you to know that what has happened to you has happened to other churches in Judea, that your fiery trials are not strange, they're not new, but I want you to be encouraged that they have endured the same, but they, here, here is how they stood, here is how God strengthened them in their trials and God will strengthen you too. Oh, listen, I mean, here is a church. They heard the word of God and they received it as the word of God and they believed the word that was preached and had a marvelous effect and a transformation in their life. And they heard about other churches and said, boy, we want to follow their example and we want to be like the apostle Paul. And even when they've had trials, we're going to strong, stand strong and stand fast just like they did. Oh, the amendment of their ways. I, I want to show you a third thing. Look, look, look at verse 15, the awareness of wickedness. He says, he says, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Here's the marks of the great church. They heard the word of God. They said, show me how to live a biblical life. That's what I want. I've watched how my brother stood in difficulty. I'm going to stand too. But watch this. He said, you're the kind of people that are not sucked into culture and become friends of this world. He, he says people who realize that there is a spiritual warfare going on and you are the target. People who know that the whole world lieth in wickedness and that you are on high alert at all times. I have, um, I have no paranoia about me. 
but I am cautious. You look at all the riots going on, all the violent crime on the rise, racial animosity that's been stoked up by the left. I, I wouldn't go to town at night without carrying, just me personally. I, I don't feel in danger, but I'm not going to be a victim if I can help it. My, my wife wants to carry. I told you that. My wife wants to carry. And, and I'd get my wife, here's the problem with my wife carrying, is that when she puts that handgun into that purse, it's lost. <laughs> It'll take 20 minutes to find it. I mean, she'd have to say, sir, hold on just a second. Just, just give me a minute. That's what she'd have to do. And so, so it doesn't work. And, and I know they make purses with, with little holsters in them, but Michael Kors don't make one, so it don't work. So, so it don't have. So, if you, if you, if you, some of y'all got a wife like that. If, if, if listen, if, if you, um, if you let your wife go to the store at night by herself, I think that's a dangerous thing. You have to be careful. You need to be aware of your surroundings. You just need to be alert. And we need that same awareness of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And here's what Paul said. He, he said, he said, you can expect an attack against God's people. He said, they've killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. Can I tell you tonight, realize that the world's hatred against the Savior is their hatred against you. They killed him the first time he came. And in their sin, they'd kill you too if they could get away with it. The same animosity that the world had against Christ when he came. I'm going to tell you something. They have that same animosity against you. You read John 15, 18, verse 18, 19, 20, where Jesus basically said, be happy, you're hated. That's the message. That's the message. And if you want to follow Hare Krishna, if you want to follow Joseph Smith, if you want to follow Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, they have no problem with that. But when you bring in the name Jesus Christ, they hate him with all of their being, and they're going to hate you as well. Jesus is not here. So since he's not here, they're going to treat you like they would treat him were he here. You represent him. They're going to treat you with design. I tell you, hate is not something that you can sit on. Hate is something that eventually has to be acted on. It has to be invented. You have to unleash it upon somebody, and that somebody is you. There's an attack against God's people. We've watched that in America in 2020. I'm not getting political tonight, but a lot of the shutdowns had nothing to do with health, had to do with hate. There's an attack against God's people. And understand, there will be an attack against God's plan. He says in verse 15, And they please not God and are contrary to all men. The way that this world thinks and this world operates is contrary to man. I'm telling you that sodomite marriage is an attack against God's plan for the home. And abortion is an attack against God's plan for personhood. And redefining genders is an attack against God's plan for, for human. I'm telling you, those things are contrary to man. They destroy society. They are attacks by Satan. And Christians have to be so careful that they don't become accepting of society because of the pressures of society. You need to be aware of the wickedness around you 
And you, I'm telling you, don't let the constant attacks weaken your convictions. It is not time to go wobbly. And the longer that you live, the more distant and more detached and more disdain you ought to have for the way this world lives and operates and thinks. I'm telling you that today I am one more, I'm just a little step farther away from having any attachment. To, I, I feel today that I'm just a stranger passing through, that my home does not hear. It's going to be an attack against God's people. It's going to be an attack against God's plan. It's going to be an attack against God's gospel proclamation. Verse, verse, verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. This world doesn't care how hard you preach the gospel. You preach it long and you preach it hard in here. But when you take this gospel out there, and when you stand on their doorstep, they got a problem. And when you take it to the workplace, to the factory, they got a problem. When you stand on the street corner and hold up a scripture sign, they got a problem. You preach it in here as long as you want to. But when you take it to them, they are going to forbid you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It may be a personal attack by some family member. It might be a government official that's overreaching that says you can't stand on this street corner or hold it. They will forbid you to speak. I'm going to tell you the kind of people every church needs. It is the kind of people who have responded to the Word of God. They've received it. they believed it. They've obeyed it. It's people who have amended their ways. I'm going to follow godly examples, spiritual examples. It's people who are aware of the wickedness in this world, and they are detached from this godless culture. I thought about this today. We don't harp on the troubles, but we don't ignore it. It's a dark day for America. It really is. I, I think I, I had a man call me today and he's, boy, he's scared to death. And I said, brother, when you got up this morning, were you still saved? I said, I'm still saved. I said, you got up this morning, you're still going to heaven? I'm still going to heaven. I said, everything that is eternal about you still the same. Nothing has changed. But it doesn't deny the reality that this world is changing. I, I don't know. I don't know what the next few months and next years hold. But every once in a while in your lifetime, there will be something happen that changes the way the world is forever. When 9-11 happened, you'll never fly an airplane the same as you did before. COVID changed your world. There will always be a reminder of the coronavirus somewhere. People will always wear masks in stores from here on out. I believe that today, what happened today in our country will eventually change the way that our country is and it will never go back to what it was before. I believe you live in a post-constitution America. And in this day of uncertainty, I'll tell you what you need. You need a strong faith. If your faith is not strong, if your Christianity is not rock solid, you're going to be nothing but a bundle of nerves. You're going to live in fear, and that is no way to live. You need a strong faith. And I'll tell you what you need. You need a close family. Boy, I'd get my kids and my grandkids, and I'd pray for them. Daddy, if you're not a praying man, it'd be a good time to start. Mama, if you don't pray for those kids, it'd be a good time to start that. You need a close family. I'd draw that family close. I'll tell you what you need. 
to be a strong church. A strong church. Brother Gravely, every church I go into, they don't realize what they have. And I'm going to tell you, you don't really fully realize what you have. You're sitting tonight in one of the best churches in America. You're sitting in a church tonight that has a preacher. And there's a hundred churches around the countryside that would love to have the preacher that you have. And you say amen to that. You don't really, until you don't have it. But you've got a man of God in your midst. You've got a church tonight that has the power of God. It's got a touch on you. That's not on every street corner in America. There's a lot of Christians who love God just like you do. They're as scared as you are. But they're going to church, to a dead church, to a preacher who won't say anything. And they don't have the support, the strength that you have. But in coming days, churches just like this are going to be an attack against it. What you're going to need, you're going to be anchored to the church. As long as you've got a church like this, it doesn't matter what they do in Washington, D.C. It's going to affect your life. But as long as you've got an anchor, as long as you've got a refuge to go to, you can laugh at them, you can smile, you can have joy. Bring it on. Bring it on.